This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. What's up, friends? It's so good to have you with us today. Uh, Today we are kind of continuing in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Crowns. And it was really kind of born out of this idea that I think that we talk about the the way of life that Jesus has called us to, the maybe even kind of the, the heart standards, the life standards, but but sometimes we neglect to talk about the rewards that God has for us. And in this series, we're kind of undercover uh, going through the scriptures to uncover some things that the scriptures tell us about the rewards that God has for those who live in a right relationship with him. We've anchored this series in 1 Corinthians 9. And so I want to go there today as we open up. Now, as we get ready to read the scriptures together, for those of you who are watching at home, let me just think encourage you today. Interact with the message like you would typically, okay? If there's something great and you want to say amen, just type amen this week, okay? If there's a note that you want to kind of share, maybe just type that out in the comments below the live stream. This is a chance for us to interact with this as a church community. I believe that that's exactly how these letters, which were written to churches, worked. The the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, and he sent it, and then it was read aloud to the church. They were able to interact with that. And so today we have the ability to do that uh, in one one church today, meeting in many different locations. So let's get started. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Every one of us watching today is running a race. We're all running a race, every single one of us. And that race that we're running, there's a prize at the end of it. There's a prize. We're we're all running for a prize. And and the the apostle Paul, as he's writing the church, let's just get, get real practical for a moment, okay? Don't, don't run in such ways that you won't get the prize. Don't do that. And then he continues on, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now, he's speaking contextually to the church in Corinth. They would have understood this because in Corinth, they hosted kind of an Olympic-type games. I mean, this was a regular occurrence. So the Corinthians knew this. They were accustomed to thinking, oh, okay, he's referencing the game. Those people would go into years of development and preparation for just those few moments of competition. This was normal. Okay, this was normal. I I don't know about you, but I I love the Olympics. The Olympics are just hopefully a few months away in Tokyo this year. Uh, But I've been following athletes literally for years who this is their one moment. They're one moment in their in their sport, and I mean, this is their job. They have worked literally to be able to compete in this one moment every day, day in, day out, training and prep, preparing. And he says, "Listen, let's draw a correlation to that. 
Okay, let's understand that if we're going to run the race, we also need to go into strict training. And then he says something. This is kind of where the series came from. They do it to get a crown that will not last. The winner would have been crowned. But they, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That will last forever. You're all running a race. Every, every one of us is running a race. But, but are you running a race to get a temporary crown? Are, are all the pain, all, all the preparation, all the difficulties and challenges, but are, are we running this race to get a temporary crown? And, and this next verse, verse 26, is really what we're going to zero in on today. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer that's beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. So, so just to kind of give you a, a roadmap of where we've been and, and where we are in, in the first week of this series, I talked about the tension that's in this passage of Scripture between what we could live, our, we could run this race for, for an immediate reward, or we could do as the Apostle Paul says, we could run this race for a reward that would last forever, an eternal reward. So I told you this, don't, don't run this eternal race trying to get a temporary prize. I mean, think about it practically for you. What, what is most important for you right now? Is it getting a bigger car or a bigger house or getting a little bit more money in the bank? All of those things will go away one day. But this is, an, for, especially for us that are, are Christ followers, we're, we recognize that we are living an eternal life right now. Right now, in this moment, we are in eternal life. So think about that for yourself. What's the prize you're running for? And so last week, I shared our rewards, okay? And, and I believe this because I believe we need to, we need to understand the, reward, the rewards that we have in, in a right relationship with God. It's so important. Because sometimes we, we don't understand what we actually have already been offered and afforded because Jesus died on the cross. See, when we're completely surrendered to Jesus, we can live in the rewards that he's purchased for us. There's good stuff out there. Stuff like forgiveness. Like God gives us authority to live in freedom. I mean, there, there's stuff that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he gave a great price to purchase you those rewards. And we need to understand them. Now, obviously, today, we're, we're going to talk about an idea that the Apostle Paul brings forward towards the end of that. But just to let you know where we're going to go for the next few weeks. And, and to be honest with you, we're, we're going to still stay in this, and, and, and our mode of worship might have to change for the next few weeks. And we we want to honor our government, and we want to honor our governor as an executive order was issued for a few weeks. Just So we're going to continue to kind of evaluate what our best methods are, and today this is our best method, but, but this is going to be something that you're going to continue to hear from us for over the next week or so. 
But we're still going to stay in the series. And next week, we're going to talk about all of those rewards that, that Jesus offers us. What would it take for us to level those up? To start living in a new level of what Jesus has already purchased for us. And in the last week of this series, we're going to talk about the greatest reward that Jesus has for us. So we know that's where we're going for the next two weeks. I want you to be a part of it. But today, I want to lean into what the Apostle Paul says at the very end of this passage. He says, you know, I, I, I want to do this. I, I want to I live right. I, I don't want to do this aimlessly. I, I want to I be very strategic. And, and the reason I want to do this is after preaching to everybody, I don't want to be disqualified from the reward. I don't want to be disqualified from the reward. Now think about that. What he's saying is, you know, it's a possibility. It's a possibility that I could live maybe, maybe the most epic Christian in human history. Right? Maybe I, I could live this life, and then I myself could be disqualified from the prize. I could be. That's what he's saying. I don't want to be, but I could be. And so I, I think that, that humility understands, and if you're taking notes today, this would be important. Humility understands it could be me. See, a lot of times we, we look through a lens of pride. We look through lenses of pride at the world, and we see people make major mistakes. We see people maybe kind of living through a moral failure, and, and we say, that could never be me. I would never do that. Pr pride says, I could never do that. That's just them. That's what pride says. Humility is always going to look at those things and go, that could be me. That's where the Apostle Paul is. He says, I don't want to preach to everybody and then disqualify myself. I don't want to do that. So, so I, I, and he lists a few things earlier that he does. So if, if that's the truth, okay, if humility understands, listen, it could be me. I could be the person to make that mistake. I could be the person to go through all the pain, all the suffering of trying to live this way and follow Jesus, but I could go through all of this and disqualify myself, let go of the reward. It could be me. If we start to understand that, then I, I think that number two, if you're taking notes, is really important. We need to work from a perspective of humility and not pride. We need to work in life. We need to work from a perspective of humility, a perspective that says, you know what? That could be me. I could be the person that given a credit card with $50,000, I could fill up that stuff buying things that I would never need. I could be the person that makes a moral decision that I wouldn't normally do, but I could be that person in the wrong situation. And if we work from that perspective, we should start with it could happen to me. It could be me. That's where the Apostle Paul seems to be in this passage. You know what? There are these rewards. Don't run this race 
and not get the reward. Listen, there's a, there's a crown that's eternal that we get to receive from God. There, there are eternal rewards, but, but he comes back and says, I don't want to be disqualified even after I've preached a, a thousand people and invited them into, I don't want to, I don't want to disqualify myself. So what I'd love to do is I want to go back and, and look at what he says. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I, I don't do that. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I believe that in that short verse, the Apostle Paul shows us how not to be disqualified. The things that we can do, and I'm going to pull out four observations today that show us how we can cannot give up on, not be disqualified from the rewards that Jesus purchased for us when he died on the cross. And the first one is this. Be content running your race. Be content running your race. And this is important because if we understand this this kind of metaphor of life that we're we're running a race. There, there's a prize at the end, and this is used in multiple times. It's not only used in the Apostle Paul's writing. The the writer of Hebrews uses this again in Hebrews chapter twelve. So we run this race with fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so, so we need to understand that, that we're all running a race, but sometimes we can get confused and think we're all running the same race. We're all running the same. But, but your race and my race will look different. They're going to have different challenges, different settings, different contexts for those. There are going to be different twists and turns in my race than there would be in yours. You might have some advantages. I might have some advantages. And a lot of times, I think we get in trouble because we start to compare our race to other people's. One of the quickest ways to disqualify yourself from God's reward for you personally is to become overly concerned with God's rewards for others. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about that for a moment. One of the quickest ways to disqualify yourself from God's rewards for you is to become overly concerned with God's rewards for others. You've probably heard it said, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. So what happens, right? We, we see our races from the, the backstage, Okay, we see our, our races from behind the scenes. We see the blood, sweat, and tears. But we see other people's from the front of the stage. The edited version that's posted on Facebook and Instagram. And we are often caught comparing our behind the scenes to everyone's edited foreground picture. We're not even comparing the same thing. You know what we get caught in, especially for those of us that are younger, 
we we get started we get started in our race, but we start comparing our start to other people's finish. And what happens? Comparison, comparing my race to your race steals joy. I promise you that if you get really devoted into comparing yourself to other people, it is going to steal things from you. It's going to rob you of good things that God promised you. One of the stories that that I remember so well, there's a great illustration of this. One of my favorite people ever was a, a, a guy that I taught with. He, he still teaches locally around here, and his name's Chris Brown, an amazing math teacher. I mean, just high-level math. He's an amazing teacher. And, and when, when I was a teacher, if you don't know my story, I taught uh, for about seven years, helped coach football. I, I loved being in public school. It was a great environment. It's just one of those places you get to go and be around people all day. And man, I love teaching. But we got to be good friends. I mean, we'd actually pray together and spend some time kind of encouraging each other and in our walks. But but he told me about how he graded papers. And I love this. It's one of my favorite stories from teaching. He said, you know, I would I'd get papers that would come in. And some of you maybe watching online had, had Mr. Brown and you remember this moment. He would, he kind of very early on in his class, he would, he would get the papers back and grade them. And if you know anything about higher order math, it's not simple. It's, it's you're grading both the answer and the work. And so he would hand the test back, and there would be kids who would have the same answer, but, but one kid would have some points deducted for their work. And you know how it is. You get the test back, you start looking over yours, you look over your friends, and you're like, hey, we did it the exact same way. They had points that were given. I had points that were taken off. This doesn't seem fair. And so they would come forward and they go, Mr. Brown, you took off points for theirs, or, or you didn't took off points for mine, you didn't take off points for theirs. This isn't fair. And he would go, you're right. It is not fair. Give me your friend's paper. And he would take off the points from his friend's paper, right? And all of a sudden, you know what would happen? People would stop sharing. They would stop comparing their papers. Why? Because it was comparison that cost them. It was comparison that cost them. Can I just tell you something today? Life isn't fair. You know the only time we argue about life being fair is when it's unfair for us. In our perception, this is the only time we talk about fair. The majority of your life as a Western American citizen, the majority of your life, you have been living in an unfair condition where the conditions of your world have been slanted to your favor. You want to talk about fair. And I've said this before. If you're part of our church, you've heard me say this. And the same day you were born, there was somebody born in a developing nation that is just as smart, just as gifted as you are, who has never had the opportunity you have. Life's not fair. But what happens? We start looking at someone else's edited story. We start looking at somebody who's a little bit further on in the race. And we compare 
and it steals from us. I want you to look at this verse. The Apostle Paul's writing Timothy, a young uh, mentee of his. He's a mentor for Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor who's pastoring. And, and the Apostle Paul kind of guided him and prepared him for this moment. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. There are, and now I, I, I love formulas. There aren't a lot of formulas in the scriptures, okay? I mean, just honestly, you, you know, there's, there's no real great formula for forgiveness, okay? It's just like, but this is one of those that lends itself to understanding in a formula. I'm going to get a little Chris Brown on this moment, okay? Listen to this. Righteousness, all right, godliness with contentment, is great gain. Great gain. Let, let me let me break that down into a formula. Look at this. Uh, godliness is is pursuing God. Like I want to be like you, God. I want to I want to have your character, your nature. I want to live in this world the way you live in this. God, I want to be like you. Godliness, pursuing God with contentment, accepting where you are. See, here's the problem. We are either, we tend to be people who are are pushers, like we're trying to push the status quo. I'm not satisfied. I want to pursue. I want to pursue. Or we're people who are sedentary. I'm I'm, I'm good here. I'm good. The norm is good. I'm I'm passive. I don't want to push things. I don't want want to stir up trouble. We're normally either one of those. But the Apostle Paul says, no, pursue God and accept where you are, and that's great, great gain. It's great gain. Run your race. You know where he goes after that? I love it, where he goes. Immediately after that verse, he says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. What's food and clothing? If we have what we need, if we just have what we need, we'll, we'll be content with that. Because he's the God who's promised to provide all your needs. Not all your wants, but all your needs. We need to be aware that we need to be content. If we're not going to be disqualified, we need to be content in running our own race. Number two, run with purpose. Run with purpose. Did you notice what he said? He said, I do not run aimlessly. I do not run aimlessly. What a, what a powerful, powerful idea. Not to run aimlessly. See, the quickest way to lose your way is trying to go a good way that you were never meant to go. The quickest way to lose your way is trying to go a good way that you were never meant to go. The enemy of God's purposes for you will often be good purposes that you have for yourself. The enemy of God's purposes for you will often be good purposes that you have for yourself. Think about what the, the Apostle Paul said. He said, you know, therefore, I don't want to be disqualified. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. What does it mean to be aimless? It means to not have 
NEA. That, that my, my race right now isn't aimed at something. There's not a purpose. Like I'm, I'm run, he's saying, I'm not running that way. I'm running with purpose. There's, there's a direction and a destination. I'm, I'm pursuing something. So think about this right now for yourself. Think about it. I want you to think about it. What is your life aimed at right now? What is your life aimed at right now? I mean, I, I know that there are many of us who would, who would love to say, you know what, my, my life is aimed at Jesus and my family. But, but is that accurate? Is that accurate? Is that really when we do an inventory of, of how you spend your time and your money and your affection, is that really what your life is aimed at? What's your life aimed at right now? Is the aim of your life purposeful? Is it on target? Are you going after what God's called you into? Are you chasing maybe good things, maybe good things, but are you chasing something that you want? Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes which means you, you were made for his purpose. Oh, we get this confused, don't we? We want to live life for our own purposes. But the Bible is real clear that God made you for his purposes. You know, if you really want to understand something, don't talk to someone who's using it. Talk to the person who created it. Think about that for yourself. We are the people that are using a creation that was made by God. Oh, obviously the technician that's using something, they can give you a lot of information, but you will never understand the design until you talk with the creator. See, the greatest purpose your greatest purpose will always be the purpose that God wants to give you. Not a purpose that you could create for yourself. Your greatest purpose will always be the purpose that God wants to give you. Run with purpose. Run with purpose. Number three, don't try to run someone else's race for them. Don't try to run someone else's race for them. Did you notice what the Apostle Paul said at the very, he said, no, I strike a blow to my own body. I'm, I'm not trying to run your race. I'm not trying, I, I'm going to give you some guidance. I'm going to give you some insight that I feel like the Lord's given me. That's my position in your life. But, but here's the truth. I can't run your race for you. I strike a blow to my own body. I mean, too often we try to run other people's races 
for them. We, we get on, on Facebook and, and maybe even from an, an honestly a loving heart, we, we offer criticism for certain categories of people to try to encourage them to do other things. And, and it's just one of those things where oftentimes we try to assume an authority that is not ours to take up a responsibility that we do not have. So I think it's important in this context to talk about those two things, authority and responsibility, because that's where the confusion comes in this, right? We, 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 we see other people making mistakes, or maybe we see people doing things that we wish that they wouldn't do, and, and we, we're, we're trying to run our race, but then we're also trying to help them run their race. And I just want you to be reminded that your authority ends where your responsibility ends. Those two things are inevitably linked together. There are things that you are not responsible for. As a matter of fact, let's think about that as a, as a parent, okay? As a parent, I, I am responsible for my children. We, we have three kids, and they're at home watching today. I love them so much. Man, I'm so proud of them. Addie, who's an eight-year-old little girl, and Clay, who's a five-year-old, six-year-old boy, and then uh, my youngest Cade, who's about to be three, man, it's so fun. I mean, our home is just chaos nonstop, okay? It just is. And there are things that I have a responsibility in their lives for them, right? I, I, I need to make sure that they are taken care of, that they're clothed, that they have food. But I cannot, I'm not, my responsibility is I can't hold their hand and go to school and make decisions for them. Now, I can coach them, and I can guide them, and I can lead them, but I am my responsibility ends where their responsibility for themselves starts. I, my job isn't to make their life perfect. My job is to raise them up to be adults so that they can lead their own lives. But see, the problem with, with parenting a lot of times is we try to take responsibility over things that are not our responsibility. We try to assume authority over things that we have not been given authority over. And when you assume responsibility, when you try to assume responsibility for something that you have no authority over, it will break you and the thing you're trying to influence. There are a lot of parents that are entering into seasons as their kids leave home and they have been helicopter parents for years. They are entering into a season of brokenness in their lives where they feel empty. But I want you to also understand that you're entering into a season where your children will be broken as well because they have never stood under the weight and anxiety of having to make decisions for themselves. You will not only break yourself, you will break what you're trying to control. Think about that. Anxiety, worry, and fear. Where does it come from? It comes from trying to control what you cannot control. Anxiety, worry, and fear. Where does it come from? It comes from trying to control what you cannot control. So in his second letter to young Timothy, the, the Apostle Paul who's mentoring him, 
wrote this in the, in the very opening of that letter. He said, Timothy, I want you to know this. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. Please pay attention to me for a moment. In this season, in this setting, in this circumstance, this matters a lot. This matters a whole lot. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. A spirit of fear means this is someone who has allowed control and fear to become the motivation in their heart. This is central to them now. Our spirit represents like what is central in our lives. All of a sudden, right, fear has become central. This is why I'm making decisions. This is why I'm, I'm choosing to do this and not because I'm afraid, okay? There's a different, I mean, fear keeps us from jumping off of skyscrapers and putting our hand on a hot stove, the, the response to fear, the internalization of fear, the motivation of fear, allowing fear to become the central motivator in my spirit is walking away from what God has offered you. A reward of our right relationship with him, which is what? Power, love, and self-discipline. I love that in that there's a tension between you have power, but you also need to be self-disciplined. You, you've, give, you've got authority over sin and death. You get to love and reign in this world with love and tender mercy. We talked about that last week as one of the benefits of our relationship with God, one of the rewards God's given us. But all of that has to be tempered with your self-discipline with your self-discipline. You have power, but you also have been given a spirit of self-discipline. So number four, if we're not going to be disqualified, we need to embrace the pain of discipline. We need to embrace the pain of discipline. What's, what's the Bible say about, about the, no discipline is pleasant at the time? No, it's painful, but it brings about a harvest of righteousness and peace. I'm going to tell you, some of us right now need peace. We need peace, but you want to know where peace comes from? The harvest that happens after discipline. It is in the harvest after discipline that we find peace. As believers and followers of Jesus, we are called. We are called, absolutely called, to learn to lean into discipline. To lean into what discipline can offer our lives. And that's, I, we talk about that. Can I just speak to that for a moment? We talk about that in the context of our physical bodies a lot. Okay, I need to be disciplined, right, with, with what I eat and exercising. And that's great. And in this season, man, we need to be disciplined with washing our hands and not touching our face, all of that. And we get that spiritually, right? We, we, we get that spiritually, that, that we, we need to be disciplined and, and turning to God in prayer and leaning into his word. But can I just encourage you with something that I think the Apostle Paul was pushing Timothy towards? We also need to be disciplined emotionally. Your heart wants to go to places that it doesn't need to go. 
Sometimes your insides want to be discouraged. Why do you think that the psalmist David spoke to himself and said, do not be discouraged, my soul? Self-discipline emotionally. Sometimes we look at the circumstances and there is reason to feel fear, the kind of fear that goes, hey, you know what? I'm going to be cautionary during this season. The I'm not going to jump off a skyscraper. I'm not going to touch a hot stove kind of fear. But that fear emotionally wants to come in and become our central motivation in life. We've got to be disciplined and say, no, uh uh-uh. I believe in a God that's bigger than anything that we will ever face. He's got this under control. We're going to be obedient. We're going to do what's right. But God's got this. we got to learn to be disciplined emotionally. Church, I'm telling you right now, this world needs to see a bunch of people who believe in Jesus and believe that Jesus is bigger than everything we're facing. It is time to shine that light. Proverbs 12 verse 1 says, To learn, you must love discipline. You must love it. But it is stupid to hate correction. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a lot of times I'm stupid. (laughs) There's a lot of times. But if we're going to grow, if we're going to make progress, if we're going to learn, we're going to move on in life, man, we're going to have to learn to love discipline. I want you to think about this today. There's always a gap between who you are and who you are meant to be. How you deal with that has a direct impact on the quality of your life. That's never going to change. From this moment until the moment you die and you are glorified to live with Jesus eternally, there's going to be a gap between who you are and who you're meant to be. And how you deal with that is going to have a huge impact on the quality of your life. Are you going to do it with pride that says, you know what, there's excuses, this is why I am the way I am? Or are you going to deal with that in in humility, saying, I own this, I want to take the steps to get better, it's not going to happen overnight? See, progress is built by discipline. Progress is built by discipline. There are some of us that are waiting for a magic bullet, for a pill to take to fix something that only discipline is going to fix. Progress is built by discipline. And I want you to hear me very clearly right now. When we refuse discipline because we think the pain will cost too much, When we refuse it, we are doing something that is absolutely derailing and disqualifying us from what God has for us. Because to refuse discipline is to reject the reward. To refuse discipline is to reject the reward. Think about this, okay? Think about it. How many times have we told God, listen, I love you, but no. Oh, yeah, I want to follow you, but no, I don't, I, that's going to be really hard. That's going to be really hard. Can we just put that off for a few months? I mean, there's a few things I need to get figured out before I do that. Why? 
because we think it's going to cost too much. But to refuse self-discipline is to reject the reward. It's to say, God, you know, know what? I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. So I don't, you know, thanks for the help. Thanks for the advice. But I, I think I'm going to be okay doing this on my own. It's rejecting the rewards. I, I want you to just interact with the words of Jesus from Luke 14. As we kind of wrap this up, and we're going to do a little bit of worship together as we kind of get ready uh, to, to kind of close this service. But I want you to look at the scripture, and I want you to interact with the words of Jesus here. Luke 14, 26 to 28. If you want to be my disciple. The root word, discipline. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Earlier in this series, I told you that what might be holding you back is what you're holding on to. Maybe you're holding on to a relationship that you've made more important than Jesus. Jesus says, listen, you can't make progress when you're holding on to something. Otherwise, you cannot be this, my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, look at what he says here. But don't begin until you count the cost. Oh, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It's not going to be easy. The rewards that we get were purchased by the Son of God who hung on a cross and paid for us to have a right relationship with him. He bled, died, hurt, ached through all of that for us. And if we're going to share, the Bible says, in his glory, then we also share in his suffering. That's a part of this. There is a glory that awaits us, but the path to it is through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to cost you. But what cost do you want? The cost that comes with the pain that comes out of the discipline? Or do you want the cost of missing out on the rewards that Jesus has purchased for you? So think about what we, what we talked about, the things that we need to do to keep from being disqualified. Number one, be content. Be content with running our own race. We're not running someone else's race. We're just going to be content with where God has us. We're going to receive our God-given purpose. We're going to receive our God-given purpose. We're going to run our own race. We're going to receive our God-given purpose, and we're going to release control. Release control and embrace discipline. Why? Because your way is not enough. Your way isn't enough. We don't need God to be a consultant. We need Jesus to be our leader.
Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.